You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. To get this show every day, follow us wherever you get your podcasts. You can also tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Mets. This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Download the app and join me on Wednesdays to get in on the action. Locker Room, changing the way we talk sports. The Mets split their doubleheader against the Cardinals on Wednesday, dropping the first game with Marcus Stroman on the mound, and then surprisingly winning game two with no real starting pitcher and opener. Jordan Yamamoto coming in and a lot of work out of the bullpen. The Mets got it done, though, with the bats. So what we're going to do on today's show in the first segment, I'm going to talk about game one. In the second segment, I'll go over game two. And then in the third segment, I want to talk about the play the Mets have got this year from their backstop, James McCann and Tomas Nito, and how the Mets should continue to split the playing time from here. Before we get to any of that, though, I'm your host, Ryan Finkelstein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on Twitter, at FinkelsteinRyan. You can also find some of my writing about the Mets at MetsmerizeOnline.com. So as I said, Stroh was on the mound in Game 1. And some would say this wasn't his best start because four runs came across, but only two of them were earned. He pitched five innings, gave up seven hits, had six strikeouts. That's a really good Cardinals lineup. Uh, If you really look, I mean, one through five is really solid. Some guys like Tommy Edmond, who you might not think of as a great hitter that you really know, had some great at-bats throughout the day. So I just look at the team in general when they have Goldschmidt, they have Arenado, they have Paul DeYoung, the Mets killer. There's just a lot of guys that can hurt you. And so giving up seven hits in five innings, to me, there really wasn't a lot to criticize Stroman for. You know, there was just some good hitting on the other side. And if not for an error by Francisco Lindor, it would have only been two runs that came across when he was on the mound. But to go through the game... Stroman allowed a home run to Goldschmidt in the first inning. Then in the third inning, he gave up three hits with two outs, with Nolan Arenado getting the RBI single that capped that inning off. And so that was how the Cardinals got their first two runs. The Mets had their chances to win that game in the fourth inning in particular. They had a golden opportunity where they had the bases loaded, nobody out, after Michael Conforto drew a walk, Kevin Pillar got a base hit, and Jeff McNeil had... An outstanding at bat, fell behind 0-2, battled, fouled some pitches off, eventually worked a walk, which loaded the bases, and then everything just got weird. The Mets <laughs> failed in Metsian fashion to only score one run, even though they had that golden opportunity, but part of what threw them off was one of the weirdest delays you'll ever see. Basically... The Cardinals starting pitcher, and I'm not even going to try to say his name because I don't have it in front of me, but I think his last name is Hyun Kim, I believe. 
basically his interpreter comes out during that inning and there's some rule that the interpreter can't go out to the mound without a pitching coach. I have no idea still why this turned into a 15-minute delay. But basically, the umpires got on the horn with the league office and they were talking over what should happen because the interpreter went out when he wasn't supposed to. There was no resolution. I don't understand. Made no sense. I guess maybe they were talking about having to pull him from the game, but it just grinded what was a game that was moving pretty quickly to an absolute halt. I think for the Mets, it really hurt their momentum because you just got three guys on base. You have a pitcher who is with his back against the wall and then he gets time to decompress. Then James McCann finally steps into the box after what was, again, it felt like an hour, but probably a 10-minute delay. I don't even know the exact time on it. And McCann hits a ground ball to third that was tailor-made to be a double play. And the Mets were lucky to even score a run on this because Nolan Arenado had some big plans in his head when this hard-hit ground ball came to him. And luckily for the Mets, it ends up trickling out of his glove. Arenado, in a horrible play, which was nearly an error, still makes a ridiculous acrobatic save as he grabs the ball, flipping over the base and somehow touching third base to get the force out. But if he had his druthers, if he fielded it cleanly, I think Arenado was going to touch third, throw home to gun down the runner there, And I think they were even thinking maybe you can gun down that runner and go to first base as well because of how quickly that all was going to happen. So the Mets caught a break in a weird sense there. Only get one run across though because with two runners still on, Jonathan VR struck out and Alberto Mora struck out to end that inning. But the whole momentum got thrown off by that review. There was also a review of Arenado's play flipping over the base because originally they had the runner safe at third, so they had to confirm that. There was also another play where the catcher got hit below the belt, and we had to wait for that. So it was just a horrible half inning to watch. Really boring and confusing and just altogether strange. And you look up at the end of it, the Mets only get the one run. In the bottom of the fourth inning, Marcus Stroman worked around an error and a base hit and struck out three to get out of that jam. He then starts off the next inning and strikes out the first two batters he faces, so five consecutive strikeouts, then gets a ground ball to shortstop, which should have ended that inning, and Lindor kind of sailed the throw to Alonzo. That wide throw allowed Arenado to be safe at first. Then Paul DeYoung, the Mets killer, hits a two-run homer, and there are your unearned runs. Now Lindor also had a play in the sixth inning where Michael Conforto tried to gun down a runner at second base. The throw beat him. It wasn't a great throw. He needed to give Lindor a long hop. But it's a play that Lindor usually makes where he would have gotten the pick and he would have been able to tag the runner at second. The runner actually slid past the base, but Lindor did not come up with the ball. And so he was safe. And the reason why I mentioned those two plays it's because Lindor, who went 0-3 in this game, just did not look into the game at all. For the first time this year, he's always given you that elite defense at shortstop. And it really felt like he was carrying those at-bats into the field with him. 
And that was a really big concern. And I was happy the Mets benched him in the second game, not because I think he hurts you in the lineup every day, as some Mets fans might believe. I still believe he's a net positive player who's going to turn it around. But I think he needs some time to get his head on straight. And I think sitting back watching a game, he spent a lot of time with the new hitting coaches on the bench during that second game. I think that was really good for him. And maybe we see a breakout in the day game on Thursday. But the bottom line, again, was the offense did not hit in game one. They only had two hits all game and went 0 for 5 with runners in scoring position. Luckily, that all turned around in game two. Going to talk about that in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by Locker Room. Locker Room is the first social audio platform made for sports fans. The app is free to download, and once you're in, you can talk with me, other fans, athletes, and insiders in real time about your favorite team or sport. I'm hosting Locker Rooms on Wednesday during these games, so you can join in on the conversation. It was a lot of fun tonight. We spent, I don't know, the first five innings of the game just going back and forth, basically watching a game like you'd watch it with your buddies at a sports bar. It was a lot of fun. There was a lot of craziness in the locker room tonight. If you were there, you know, and you don't want to miss it. So download the free locker room app, which is currently available on all iOS devices. Make sure you create your profile, link your Twitter, join the MLB group to follow the latest league updates, and follow me at FinkelsteinRyan, and you'll be notified when my room goes live. Locker room, changing the way we talk sports. One reason to repair and maintain your cars is to save money. So why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, maybe even 100% more for the exact same amount of parts at a chain store or new car dealership when you can just go to rockauto.com, a family business that has been serving auto parts to customers online for 20 years. They have everything you could want from engine control modules to brake parts, tail lamps, motor oil, even new carpet. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Make sure you write locked on in there. How'd you hear about us, Box? So they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Rockauto.com. Game two of the Mets doubleheader was far more enjoyable to watch because they really did cruise through this game. And they also employed a strategy I've been interested to see the Mets try for some time, which is using an opener in the first inning. Miguel Castro started the game, and the idea with the opener is to have a high-leverage reliever face the top of a really good lineup that includes hitters like Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. If you have a traditional starting pitcher like Jordan Yamamoto, who is you know, your sixth starter for this team, go out and face the top of the lineup in a nine-inning game, well, you don't want Yamamoto to see that top of the lineup more than twice. So, in a normal circumstance, when you use an opener, that could allow Yamamoto to pitch far deeper into a game because a pitcher like Miguel Castro gets you through that top of the lineup one time, and you know that top of the lineup is only going to see maybe four or five at-bats a game This is a way to make sure a high leverage guy faces them in one of those circumstances. And at the end of the game, you still have other high end relievers 
who can pitch against that top of the lineup again when you pull your bulk pitcher, I think is what they call him, but essentially your starter in someone like Yamamoto. For this game, it was a seven-inning contest, so it didn't work out the way you might have foreseen as Yamamoto was really just one leg of a bullpen game. You know, pitched two and two-third innings, uh, had 38 pitches thrown, didn't get the opportunity to go deeper into the game because the Mets had a 4 nothing lead. And in the fourth inning, he hit a batter. And once the lineup turned over, even though he had two outs, the Mets went to the bullpen knowing that Aaron Loop would face three batters. And the third batter was Matt Carpenter, the matchup they really wanted. Loop ended up giving up two hits before getting to that matchup. But the idea was if he couldn't get Carpenter out, they had Trevor May ready to face those big guys, Arenado and Goldschmidt. So basically, Yamamoto showed some good stuff. I liked what I saw, but I think the Mets really view him as a pitching prospect. This isn't your typical guy that's going to go up and down from the majors and the minors. This was a rare circumstance where they needed him, but I think they want to see him get 20 starts in AAA and really kind of rebuild his value as a prospect being someone that could factor into the rotation next year with some impending free agents that are currently on the Mets roster, or where he can build some value and be an asset that could be dealt at the trade deadline. So I think that is maybe where their head is at with him. I would imagine he's probably going to get sent down, assuming that a Carlos Carrasco is going to enter this rotation at some point in the coming days, assuming that Jacob deGrom is healthy and can make a start either over the weekend or early next week. And since I mentioned DeGrom, he spoke with the media today, basically told us that he feels good. He's going to talk to the doctor tomorrow. If he's cleared, he'll play catch. Then he'll likely throw a bullpen on Friday and see where he is. Maybe he could make a start on Sunday, I think, if everything breaks right. Getting back to this game, because the Mets had that fresh bullpen, they trusted their guys to hold down that lead. Trevor May pitched a scoreless fifth. He now has a 1.74 ERA after getting off to a rough start at the beginning of the season. Robert Gazelman came in to the game in the sixth inning, something I've been clamoring for to pitch some of your lesser relievers when you have a big lead. At the time, the Mets were winning 6-1. to one. Gazelman did a pretty decent job. He did give up a run, but no harm, no foul there. Then Jerry's Familia came in to pitch the final inning and threw another scoreless frame. He has not allowed a run in his last nine appearances. Now has a 1.13 ERA on the season. He has walked four batters in his eight innings pitch, which isn't incredible. But for Familia, that's a pretty good number to be down to. What is that? Uh, half of a, a walk per inning. I did that right? I think I did that right. All right, so four walks, eight innings. Yeah, half of a walk per inning. Um, going back to the real story of this game, though, was that the Mets lineup scored. That's really, I kind of buried the lead there, right? The Mets scored seven runs in this game, had nine hits, went four for 11 with runners in scoring position. In the second inning of the game, Dominic Smith hit a leadoff single. Kevin Pillar doubled, which put two runners in scoring position. With no outs, and once again you are wondering, is this the same old Mets? Because Jonathan Villar and Jose Peraza both hit 
weak fly balls out to the outfield that weren't deep enough to score Dominic Smith. And Tomas Nito stepped up to the plate, and I'm sure there weren't a lot of people who had a ton of confidence that we were going to see anything other than another wasted opportunity. That did not happen, though. First, there was a wild pitch that brought Dominic Smith home. I'm sure fans are like, hey, at least we got one. Well, guess what? You got three because Nito went yard with a two-run homer, putting the Mets up at the time 3 to nothing in the fourth inning. Jonathan VR homered, and the Mets were sitting pretty with that 4 nothing lead. Then in the fifth inning, once again, the Mets scored. Jeff McNeil got a base hit. Michael Conforto drew a walk. Then later on with two outs in the inning, Kevin Pillar was the guy that came through. This time has an RBI single, kind of a blue pit, but it works for the Mets. They get a run across. And then Jonathan VR gets an infield single, which scores another. Not the most dominant showing in that inning, to get those two runs across, but sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. And for VR, it was his great speed that was able to beat Nolan Arenado on a barehanded play. That is not easy to do. Now, before we move on to the last segment, I do want to spend another minute here talking about Pilar because he has really started to turn a corner. He finished the month of April hitting 115. He was three for 26 with seven strikeouts and just one walk. And this month, he has been tearing the cover off the ball, has a four-game hitting streak, he's 8 for 16, has a double and two home runs, has scored four runs, and has five RBIs. Also in this game, he had an outfield assist as he gunned down former Met Ali Sanchez at home plate. So altogether, Pilar is playing really well. Brandon Nimmo just went on the injured list with that finger injury. So now Pilar is going to be playing every day until that heals up for Nimmo. The Mets, in his place, called up Patrick Mazika, but I believe that's only going to be for this one game. He was likely with the taxi squad as the Mets' emergency catcher, and so that's probably why he was the guy that got the call up for the second game, because he was simply there. What the Mets decide to do, though, without Nemo is very curious because the only real option that's on the 40-man roster to replace him is Khalil Lee. And Khalil Lee is a top 10 prospect for the Mets who is not ready for the big leagues. I don't expect them to rush him into action right now. Maybe the Mets had to maneuver their 40-man roster to add somebody like, I don't know, John Shweep Fargas. I think Malik Smith could be hurt, but he would potentially be another option. Or maybe they could even dip into free agency and see what's out there. Not quite sure what they're going to do without Brandon Nimmo. But right now, this team really needs that bench mob, as Tomas Nito described themselves after the game, which is you know Kevin Pillar, Jonathan VR, Nito, all those guys. They're all going to be getting a lot of playing time in the starting lineup or even getting more opportunities to pinch hit when they're not in the starting lineup. So the Mets need to get the most out of those guys while they're waiting for Guillaume, J.D. Davis, and Brandon Nimmo to come off the injured list. Anyway, in just a minute, I want to spend some time talking about Nito and also James McCann and the slow start that he has gotten to this season. Have you guys ever heard about Sports Trade? It's where fantasy sports meets the stock market. Making money with Sports Trade is as simple as player values 
which rise and fall based on two factors. One, their statistical performance in each game compared to their projected fantasy points in that game. The more points scored, obviously the higher their value goes. The second factor is supply and demand. The more demand a player has, the higher their value goes. So you can buy shares in a proven winner like Jacob deGrom, or you can invest in a penny stock like Jordan Yamamoto, who pitched tonight, you think might have some upside over time. You can instantly buy and sell as many shares as you would like and as many players as you would like, just like the stock market. Then you can watch the players battle it out and your portfolio rise in value. Simply go to sportstrade.com, watch the How It Works video, and then sign up to get started. Sign up today at sportstrade.com and discover the fun, exciting, and profitable new world of sports trading. This is truly the evolution of fantasy sports. Don't sit on the sidelines any longer. Get in on the game at sportstrade.com. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. The NBA, the NHL, and Major League Baseball are in full swing. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. With real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine, BetOnline has you covered. For all the new scores and odds, it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit with our promo code Locked On. Again, that's promo code Locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Now, I wanted to spend the final segment talking about James McCann and Tomas Nito because honestly, we talked about it a bit on the locker room tonight, and it really brought me back to when the Mets first signed James McCann, and I was not all on board with the move, and my biggest sticking point was the fact that he got four years. And also, just looking over his career, I was concerned about the sample size the Mets were buying into. Because James McCann, prior to 2019 when he signed with the White Sox, was a below-average pitch framer and a below-average hitter. Then, 2019 in the first half, he's outstanding with the White Sox, makes the all-star team, But in the second half, those offensive numbers really fell off a cliff. The White Sox went out and signed Yasmani Grandal. In the shortened season, McCann was outstanding. He was absolutely sensational offensively. And as a pitch framer, for the first time in his career, his strike rate was over 50%. It seemed like he figured that out as well. Now we're looking through his first 20 games as a Met. James McCann's hitting 206 with a 270 on base percentage and a 250 slugging percentage. His OPS is 520. He has one home run, which is his only extra base hit to this point. His WRC plus, which measures hitters based on a league average of 100, is 60. So he is, you know, 40 degrees lower than your league average hitter at the moment. And you look at his MLB percentile rankings which gave you all these expected batting metrics, expected batting average. He's in the 14th percentile among hitters in baseball. Expected slugging percentage, he's in the 4th percentile. Expected WOBA, also in the 4th percentile. His average exit velocities in the 18th percentile. His chase rate 
in the 27th percentile. Just not good indicators of positive performance to come. Although the one that is promising is his hard hit percentage is in the 78th percentile. Problem is a lot of that has been on the ground. If he can start lifting the ball again, we could see a big uptick in his offensive performance. But it's just obvious that he's struggling right now. I do believe that he has been a big upgrade defensively over Wilson Ramos because Ramos was really washed. And James McCann, I think, calls a better game, is still a better pitch framer than Ramos. Although this year, the numbers aren't great with the pitch framing. Again, with McCann, he's in the 35th percentile among all catchers that qualify. So that's not the best. But the Mets need him to hit. That's the great separator here. They need him to be bare minimum a league average hitter who is a positive defender behind the plate. And hopefully he gets back to where he was last year. One of the reasons why I didn't love the signing for James McCann is because I felt like his offensive performance was such a small sample. I think he only played 31 games in 2020 where he really did have that breakout season. And I looked at Tomas Nito as somebody who could have potentially had a similar season if he had enough playing time in 2020. He hit 292, 346 on base percentage, 583 slugging percentage, 929 OPS. This was Nito last year. Only 26 plate appearances. Ridiculously small sample size. But prior to that season, he worked with a renowned hitting coach and really changed a lot to his swing, started to focus on driving the baseball more, and I was intrigued by it. So I felt like the Mets could have just said, you know what, the rest of our lineup is going to be really good, and look, this year it hasn't been. But I felt they could say, we have an outstanding defensive catcher in Tomas Nito. Let's buy a cheaper veteran like Alex Avila to pair with him, and if it doesn't work, you trade for a catcher. That was what my stance was in the offseason. I'm concerned right now with what McCann has done because unlike Francisco Lindor, his track record is not something you want to point to. Lindor, you say, wow, look at his career. He's going to fall back to the mean. For McCann, falling back to the mean might be falling back to what he was in Detroit because what we're talking about in Chicago is literally 150 game sample size. And... In the second half of 2019, those numbers weren't great. It was the first half of 2019 and a 31-game sample in 2020. And they had this guy signed for four years and $40 million. It's not a huge albatross. There's plenty of time for him to bounce back. I'm not writing him off by any stretch. But he's a guy you got to watch right now. Especially knowing... That you have Francisco Alvarez who can shoot through the Mets farm system because he's already in a couple of days looking like he's too good to be in low A. So this is a catching prospect that might be starting in high A for a majority of this season. Could start next season in double A. You see how quickly these things can turn and you now have a contract in James McCann if he has a bad year. Then I don't know what you do with it. So that's my only problem dating back to the offseason when the Mets made this move. I felt like the only catcher worth breaking the bank for is JT Real Muto. But the Mets really wanted James McCann. 
The Mets believe in James McCann. And James McCann, if he gives them what he gave Chicago over the last two years, that would be everything the Mets could ask for. And that would probably be the best catcher the Mets have had since Mike Piazza when you figure what he could do on both sides if he was that all-star McCann that he was with the White Sox. We have to wait and see. I do think that the contracts may be weighing on the minds of Lindor and McCann. Maybe they break through that and they start to find their footing. I also think that McCann shouldn't be playing every single day the way he is. Right now he's on pace to play 130 games. He started 20 of the Mets' first 25 games. In his career, his high for games played is 118. So I would probably start Tomas Nito once in each turn through the rotation. Give Nito some playing time. Also, a little stat that I found today. Of all catchers who have seen at least 100 called pitches, which are pitches on the edges of the strike zone, he has the best strike rate in all of baseball. Nito does at 62%. James McCann sitting at 463 right now. So Nito is an elite pitch framer, so he brings that to the table. But I think by playing him a little bit more, you'll keep McCann fresher. He'll be you know, healthier, more well-rested. Also, if Nito continues to hit, that is a great thing for McCann too because it inspires some internal competition. And the best offensive season in James McCann's career came last year where he was splitting time with Yasmani Grindal. That tells me that maybe a little bit of a pushback on his playing time might inspire some better play as well. Anyway, that's going to be all for today's edition of Locked On Mets. On tomorrow's show, I'll be joined by Millard Thomas, host of Locked On Diamondbacks, for a crossover special as we preview this weekend series. Make sure you tune into that. Make sure you follow, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you follow me on Twitter. At Finkelstein Ryan, follow the show at Locked On Mets. There, you will find a giveaway for a signed photo of Michael Conforto. I'm going to draw a winner at 7 o'clock on Thursday, so you still have a little bit of time to enter for a chance to win that. And if you want to get more of the sports news you need in less time, check out the Locked On Today podcast hosted by Peter Bukowski, which is the only daily show breaking down the biggest stories with analysis from our local experts. Start your day with all the sports news you need in under 20 minutes by subscribing to Locked On Today wherever you get your podcasts.